Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. This podcast is brought to you by Crush Organic CBD Oil. Go to crushorganics.com. That's Crush with a K. Use the code Neil for 40% off. They've got a wide range of CBD oil products. It's not marijuana, okay? CBD oil, very different. Everyone's using it. So go and get some. Use the code Neil for 40% off, whether it's the oils, the bath bombs, the gummies, or the oil for your pets. World War Three will be avoided if you all get a bit of CBD oil from Crush Organics and use the code Neil for 40% off. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that announcement is getting more and more robotic everywhere. Yeah, yeah. More and more infomercially. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, full assed. What are you talking about? Full assed. Yeah, you're getting into the uh, religious flow of it. Exactly. Yes, it rolls off the tongue. Uh, I'm doing shows in Sydney every single week, Melbourne every single month. In fact, I think I'll be doing a show in Melbourne as this goes out. So the next one will be April 3rd, then April 24th. So come see me in Melbourne. Jordan will also be doing Melbourne around that time. And he's all over the country as well. So go see him. And if you want to book me and my improv crew and DJ for a private event, go to neilcolhatka.com slash events. Do it at a relatively cheap rate because we're just starting out in the private events game. But we're happy to do it all. We'll do the uh, corporate bonding sessions, which we have already done. And we got a great review. So if you're in HR, I doubt you'd be listening to this, but if you're in HR, book us for your next uh, corporate function. You have the budget. We know how this rolls. Exactly. you so, got to waste it on something. That's exactly Stop it. Stop doing sack races. That's exactly it. You, gotta, you don't want to pay it to tax. You want to pay it to me and the boys. You have to pay it. You want to pay it to the really boys. You really have club. no option. Oh, you've got options in you can pay it to him and the boys or some other boys, but it has to go to some boys. They're not allowed. They're not. You are not not allowed to spend that money. So just do it. Yeah. Would you would would you rather it go to some swami, cunty consultant, or would you rather it go to a couple of young dudes doing improv? Yeah, with Come matching on, what's t-shirts. Gonna, what's going to bond your your corporate team more than that? You exactly. soulless fucks. I should, probably shouldn't call you that, but book <laughs> you know us. what you are. Yeah, you got the <laughs> you got the budget. Those margins. Those profit margins. It's unethical. So be ethical and give give back to the artists. Give back to the arts community. <laughs> this is a great pitch. So uh, we've got another shout-out today. So let me bring this up. If you'd like to send in a shout-out, it's $5 a month. Uh, we also have questions that we will answer for $15 a month and topics for, I believe, 60, 50 or 60 a month. And just go to neilcolhacker.com slash podcast and all that subscription money goes straight to charity. All righty. So. Here we are. All right, this one comes in from Cameron. Hi, Neil and Jordan. Having listened to you guys repeatedly call for people to invest in their passion to serve others rather than to be served by it, I started a YouTube channel for the history of modern China, 1950s Damn. to 2020s. Damn. And that's going to be very helpful for anyone who wants to know why China wants to invade Taiwan. Mm-hmm. As a high school teacher who loves Chinese history and aligns with Jordan and Ali, 
I want my students to know the context behind World War Three before blindly signing up to fight out of patriotism. Fuck, dude, you are point. really fighting an uphill battle, and I salute you, sir. The channel has grown to 1.5k subscribers and is going well, and I'd love to extend its viewership to see people have more nuanced views on China than what our media offers. So head on over and subscribe to Mr. Mitchell History. Mr. Mitchell History. We'll put the link in the description. Well, good on you. Mr. Mitchell History. So I'm so uh, glad that you've done that. That's great. Can I just suggest you change the name? You Whoa, need something brutal. memorable. Well, look, as someone who's fucking called Friendly Geordies, that's really rich. I, the one thing that I will say about Friendly Geordies actually is unintentionally, I think it's actually a bit, little bit memorable. I didn't mean to do that. I just put the first thing that was at the top of my fucking head at the time. But I think that once you hear it, you don't unhear it. Uh, there's a better example of this actually is Superwog. You don't unhear Superwog. The other one, actually, was, I can't even remember his name, Chad, changing his name to Fat Cunt. I, I call him Fat Cunt now. Like, there are names that stick in your head, and that is invaluable. Mr. Mitchell History, I know what you're going for because you're just doing it with your students, but I think that that is actually a really important channel, and you should give it a name that is memorable for what it is, you know, like... Preventing World War Three. China before World War Three or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Preventing World War Three. Look, there's other things that you can aim for it, but that's that's a cool channel, man. That's a cool channel. It's a really good idea. Mm. Wow. Well, uh, some criticism there. Change the name. But, uh, look, out of love. Your name. Because what Mr. you're doing Mitchell, is very, enough. very important. That's the only reason why. Otherwise, I'd just be like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, but I think that it's just... You want to be able to hold people's attention, especially in this climate, because, look, I know every time we ever talk about it, you get your heads ripped off. But, look, that is exactly what the Liberals are running on this time. It's fucking phenomenal. I don't know if I've even told you about this, Neil. I've just started to uncover it. It's amazing because you start listening to your Kyle and Jackie O's, your Today shows, the really soft newsy Mm. outlets. This is their message. It's incredible. Yes, ScoMo's a shit cunt, but China's scary. That's what it's going for. So it's just completely diffusing what everyone thinks. Everybody thinks ScoMo sucks. And this is what a genius marketer is. He's just like, okay, you think I suck? I'm going to point out that I suck. I agree with you. I suck. Isn't that incredible? So he's like completely fucking diffused everything. Like where do you go from there? That's effective because that's actually a way that I think in a debate context or even in a verbal argument, the way to actually... Gain an upper hand is to just acknowledge your foibles, your flaws that may be a point of attack for your opponent. So for him to say, yeah, I'm a fucking dumb dad, in a way, it, it can be endearing, yeah. Uh, but it's scary at the same time. I felt like I was going to ask you, the, I couldn't help but feel that there's some sort of weird strategy that they might be doing is purposefully amplifying his stupidity and his buffoonery to weaponize the uh, internet response against that. Because what happens is, what there's that video of him welding without his face mask on or something like that. And then the, the vitriol in the comments and the um, 
the just how ag- aggressive the uh, social media response is can then actually be weaponized and people can say, oh, look at the look at the world we're living in. Look how angry and vicious people are online. And to be fair, yeah, all right, all he did was like leave his mask off or something like that. Honest mistake anyone can make. But people are then using him as a as a sort of avatar for everything that's wrong in Australia, but also everything that may be wrong in their life, to be fair. And and therefore a lot of people on these sort of talk back radios, which in their whole vibe is like trying to appease fifty year old mums. Because a lot of fifty-year-old mums will be like, "What seem that doesn't seem nice," hmm. and so when they see when they say, hey, "You know, all, all he's done is gone to the footy and he's tried to play his ukulele on sixty minutes," and sure, he's not great, but some of these comments, I'm going to read some of these tweets. Hmm. Fuck you, scomo, go die, you scum prick. Mm. Is this mm. the country we want to live in? Mm. Is this the country we want to live mm. in? And then mm. and then the mum's like, "Yeah, that's so rude. Why would anyone say that?" See, it's suddenly turned from being free speech to like all about politeness mm. and all about decorum. Mm. And I can't help but one. I don't know if this is genius marketing or it's just happened by accident. Accident that they're yeah they're amplifying and exaggerating maybe some of his faults or it just foibles that are occurring in order to weaponize the um, disproportionate internet response and sort of the, the vitriolic personal attacks that come from that internet response in their favor. I've got to say, man, like you've really identified something and it's, it honestly baffles me because I just can't understand how fucking genius this man is at marketing. It's incredible. He's got all three going. It's like this amazing, he's playing at your fears by sitting there, as we've said before, terror, if this was 2000s, it'd be terrorism. Now it's China. That's the big, you know, boogeyman threat. He's got that running and 60 Minutes did it fucking perfectly the other day. You could see it and that's exactly what you're identified in the 60 Minutes part, which is that he's acknowledging that he's an old fuddy-duddy idiot and then that plays into their other theme, which is just really constantly stoking the big media channels like Nine Fairfax and News Corp, which is I'm going to shut down your competitor, which is social media. That's what we're aiming for. We're shutting it down. You have to help us spread that message. So he's making sure that they're on board with him. He's kind of putting, so that message goes out to them. The China message goes out to the Bogans. And then the other message that goes out to the Bogans is, I'm a shit cunt. So he's he's playing, it's an incredible fucking, these are incredible messages to just constantly hit these three. It's an incredible cocktail. I've never seen anything like it in politics. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah, because it would be, it, it, to be fair, not many leaders would be uh, willing to present themselves as a buffoon. No. Not many at all. Slavoj Žižek said something really interesting about this, which was that the modern day tyranny, and he was talking about Berlusconi, and he was saying that that's the where that kind of originated. But he was saying that it was just like modern day tyranny is this weird thing where you can make fun of your leader. Making fun of your leader is accepted and encouraged Uh to point out his foibles and make caricatures of him, which never happened in history. All throughout history, you say one bad thing about the leader, right? Like you're in jail. Now you're allowed to. Now you're allowed to make fun of the front man. That's sort of seen as a bit of a 
free speech maneuver, right? Anything deeper than that, that's when you start disappearing. Um, so, yeah, it's just like, but like Scott Morrison has taken that to the next level. And it reminds me of that classic Game of Thrones quote with the midget that was just like, I just point out that I'm a midget as soon as I enter a room so no one else can fucking do it. You know, you've completely neutralized it. Right. It's incredible. <laughs> because that would almost be the biggest point of attack for anyone who's supposed to be a leader, competence and and ability to get the job done. And, and if he's sort of suddenly putting out there that, yeah, I'm a bit of an idiot. And you know what else he's done? <laughs> this is the other genius thing. He's getting, he's, he's actually, this is amazing. He's just sitting there, which really plays into him, which is like, yeah, I'm a bit of an idiot, but people are just being mean to me. The China thing, it was so fucking ridiculous. It was so stupid. It was because the other big theme that's going in is just, you know, women are, are, are disrespected in our workplaces. They're raped and abused. There's that message going through. And then this was the genius thing straight after their little meet the scomos puff piece that they did. Right after that, 60 Minutes does... Did you know that there's rapists in China? That was incredible. So they're getting these two threats there. Just this general, because this is how they're getting women back on side. Women voters just abandoned Scott Morrison. So now he's just really playing out the whole, hey, we need women to be respected. That's why we need to pass in all of these anti-bullying laws. It's about women. They always put women at the front. Women, women, women. This is why we need to restrict your freedom of speech. Women are these dandies that can't handle abuse online. He's playing into that theme, right? And then he's playing into the Chinese theme. Sorry. Mm. It's just it, it, that that 60 minutes, that whole 60 minutes was an incredible blueprint for what they're coming into this election with and fuck it's a fucking stroke of genius it really is well i mean they can't it's not as though albanese or labor has a bad reputation with female voters but i suppose they're just trying to court the upper class female voters that would normally vote liberal but maybe be it be disaffected because of what was happening behind the scenes And there's, there's definitely that because this is the other thing as well. I, I've talked about this on previous pods, but it's, it's fucking amazing. Like, who do the... Go back to culture, right? Yeah. Culturally... You're going to lose a lot of male voters with that sort of crap, though. But this is the thing. They're, they're really behind the eight ball in this election. They really are. Like, 10 points. It's... If they win this off, that would be a miracle election. The last election wasn't a fucking miracle. That was a two-point difference at the end, you know? This, if you're able to turn 10 points around, that would be a fucking miracle. Now, the thing is, they're hemorrhaging female votes. So I think they're realizing, like, okay, to build that back, we're going to have to lose some male votes. I I don't know. Right. I don't know. Well, maybe their their best... Bet is because a lot of male voters have already just accepted that Labour and Greens are associated with each other and they're the woke ones and they're just uh, part of the cabal of uh, the wokerati and they're more likely to turn to some of the minor parties. I was very surprised. I did like a little Instagram question um, on my... Um, I've been doing these anonymous questions where... I just ask her. I, I said, "Who would you? Who 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 do you think you're going to be voting for this federal election?" I'll keep it all anonymous. 
and people I wouldn't have normally expected, because I can see who sends it through, but people who I definitely wouldn't have expected have said, I'm going to vote UAP because certain measures in the lockdown have just decimated either my mental health or just the people around me, their mental health, and I just can't stand that both parties were basically on board with that. A lot of people are voting uh, UAP. And, and and my audience on Instagram would be mostly Australians in their 20s. Quite more along the middle class line then. And then again, not everyone was sending in an answer, but it was very, I guess, even keel there. I don't think it was lopsided one way or the other. It needs to be... That point needs to be pointed out over and over and over and over again. It's a vote for the Liberals, essentially. It's a vote for the Liberals, and it is a fucking vote for the And the genius of it, and it, this is incredible, is everywhere the billboard, freedom, freedom, freedom. That just means whatever the fuck you want it to mean. Mostly it's just anti-lockdowns, anti-COVID, this, this kind of run that they're running. And this is the other genius thing. They've obviously, and I, I fucking hate them for it because we picked up on this first, internet and cybersecurity things that are coming into place because of this oppressive government. So genius that they're running all these ads now just being like, did you know that Australia has facial recognition? Did you know that China dispenses how much toilet paper you have? The world is a scary place and, and all these like nefarious agencies are having it vote one for the UAP. They've, they've hit all of these brilliant little points. Yeah, so they're trying to get caught the male vote, the disaffected liberal male voter with that. And then the Liberal Party might be trying to get that disaffected Liberal female voter. Yeah. And they can just get enough there to win, to keep maintain those marginal seats. I don't think this is a... I think they, I think it's 50-50, man. Like, I think... Because I think those those minor parties are in play so much. Well, this is... Dude, this I don't is, see any advertising. I don't, I don't know what the message of Labor is, but that, again, that's probably by design. But I don't, I don't see any YouTube ads... From Labor to any marketing, it's just silence. Well, again, they just don't have the budget to compete. They don't. They're, they're outspent by the Liberals five to one, let alone fucking Palmer United. So they're waiting to the very end. I'm saying nothing, like nothing. I'm but again, nothing. That, as you're saying, that's part of their strategy. The big thing that I think that they have in their uh, back pocket that was genius is that the, uh, I can't remember her name, but Albo hired her. She is responsible for two unexpected victories in Queensland. And he was just like, we're making you the head of campaigning. And you know why? Because she's a bogan. And that's the thing that's missing. That's the thing that's culturally missing in Canberra. It's just so filled. This is the thing that everybody just says, regardless of your party stripe, it is so filled with... Cultural suits, elite, like elites, uh, yeah. Cultural elites, but the, see, the thing is, it's such a grey, non-existent Canberra, as everyone always says, it's the most artificial fucking place on planet Earth, and so it is just this bubble of like extremely well-paid per capita people that are extremely educated, extremely nerdy in their one little field of bureaucracy. They do not represent the average Australian at all. Yeah, the antithesis to Australian culture. So if you have anyone that's able to permeate that, they're worth their fucking weight in gold, you know? And so Scott Morrison, to a degree, he's doing that. But I think that this is the whole thing is that, like, culturally, 
who should the, this is your observation that you had uh, the last election actually culturally who should the labor party be aiming for working class obviously like bogans working class bogans and Cult- the middle class well, you want to get the swing voters essentially because there's certain people that are always going to vote Labor, certain people that are always going to vote Liberal, and then mm. ultimately it's the swing voters that really... Sorry, sorry, swing sorry. voters in marginal seats. No, not who you should be appealing for, sorry. It was who their, who their bread and butter is. This is the interesting thing. They've, they fucking switched over, which is insane. They did. Ha- they have. Th- they in, in just one election cycle. In they one have, election cycle. They? Because the Labor messaging in 2019 was a lot more... Middle class and upper middle class. Well, Espe- and very women-centric in that sense. And now liberals are saying they're doing everything they can to court that middle class white women in particular. Like you say, the wine mums. The wine mums. <laughs> yeah, they want the wine mums really back. going hard to try and get those. Because I think, I don't know, but I'm assuming there's certain women in their 20s are not going to vote liberal regardless of what they do. But... You know, I think they're the highest degree of Greens voters as well. So I don't think they. I just don't think there's. They're like actually the core of the Greens base. Yeah, fuck yeah. Children of the Liberal Party. That's the lib. That's right, the Greens. Right, and then Labor. It's just anyone who works on a job site essentially. But then a lot of them have. They did switch in the last one, and part of that was the fear of excessive taxes and and excessive sort of cultural regulation as well. And also, everyone was just like, Pilshorn's a cunt. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, and that you don't really see that with Albo. No one's like, oh. Some people are like, oh, he's kind of, he's got a lisp and he's annoying. But no one's like, he's a cunt. But with Bill no Sean, it was so. like, nah, we don't like you. Yeah, they, they didn't trust him. Yeah, yeah, there was they that. They didn't trust him. Yeah. And I fully get that having met him because this is what something pointed out. And this is something that I notice when I'm ever around him. It's like, it's not that I don't like the guy. I greatly admire him, actually. I think he's an abnormally good person. Um, Bro, he lacks charisma. But you know why? This is the interesting thing. And this is actually how Scott Morrison has built charisma out of the fact that he lacks charisma. Because what is charisma? I, I think as we've done like three videos on it, I think that... I actually came to the conclusion that I think charisma is somebody who is allowed to let their true self shine through. If you're allowed to, if you are uninhibited. Yeah. And then you're aware of that as well. And you're aware of it. And not insecure about it. No, you play to it. Which is sort of what Scott Morrison is doing, whether intentional yes. or not. He's, oh, he's, he's fucking intentionally doing it yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I'm sure behind the scenes there's nothing daggy about him. Uh, well, this is. Uh, well, uh, I've, I've okay. said this on other videos, but I'll say it again because I think it's the best insight. Because, and I'll just look, this is a little exclusive here. Ooh. Because usually I just say a certain liberal, but it was Malcolm Turnbull, and Malcolm Turnbull is not in the business of giving any other politicians or anyone credit for anything. He's an extremely narcissistic man, right? And that was the thing that was likable about him was that. You got the feeling that he was this Scrooge McDuck billionaire in the eastern suburbs that demolished two mansions to build a bigger mansion. There's something likable about. It's not likable. For some reason, it's more endearing when Donald Trump is uh, brash and cocky and a womanizer versus when Malcolm Turnbull, because it's the sanctimony. That's what it is. Like what we were saying in the last podcast, you don't get sanctimony from Donald Trump. He's also a lavish, ostentatious billionaire that... 
sleeps with who God knows who, however many women, but you don't get the sense that, hey, he thinks he's better than me. No. But with Malcolm, you got that sense, you think you're better than me. Yes, but, but if he were, this is the whole Scott Morrison thing, right? Because Scott Morrison, and this is another genius aspect of his marketing, two things come out with Scott Morrison every fucking time. Don't you reckon? Lazy, incompetent, fuddy-duddy, but also fucking sneaky little cunt. He does actually have that same streak that Bill Shorten has or, like, is perceived to have. Like, when yeah. people look at him, they think two things. They think loser and shifty cunt. When they looked at Bill Shorten, they thought boring, shifty cunt. Now, loser is a little bit more endearing. Yeah, loser that's aware he's a loser and is confident in being a loser. That, I suppose, is what makes it endearing. And and blinds to the much more sinister one, which is shifty because, uh, you know... Trust, as soon as you destroy trust in a relationship, the relationship's over. The thing is... That's why cheating's so hated, you know? It's not actually the act of having sex with someone. It's the going behind their back. That's the thing that people fucking hate. Sure. Sorry, keep going. Well, a lot of it comes down to certain psychological traits that that people may be yearning for in a given time due to environmental or systemic or cultural factors. So... If we're going to be antagonistic towards China, it just doesn't fit the personality of this gaggy dad to be a wartime prime minister. No. If we're if we're sort of preparing that, hey, this is there's going to be a major conflict. There's the potential for a major conflict. You want a kind of hard man. You want a strong. If anyone of the last couple of prime ministers, you'd probably want Tony Abbott. Yes. In terms of just it, just uh, their the attributes yeah, and their personality, you yep. just want someone who's like. I'm the wartime guy. Stoic. I'm no nonsense. Yes, I'm stoic and I will not back down from a fight. Now that could be a that could be a a man thing. And I don't know what but I I I, I would guess that in in a period of war everyone would want someone who represents certain attributes associated with I guess military and and prowess and just stoicism amidst conflict. Which is the sorry, this is the point that I was getting at before which is the genius aspect of it. He's also offset his big challenge because we're we're talking about last week or a week before that, there was going to be a leadership challenge to Scott Morrison. Now, that's gone completely quiet again. And it's because Scott Morrison has ceded that role to Peter Dutton. Peter Dutton has that because he's an ex-cop and he's got that evil, dead face where you think, there's a man, and he's got all of those things, shadowy, tough, works behind the scenes, not a leader, but you can tell that he's evil, tough as fucking bro. nails, that evil looking so face. Evil. But that's, in a wartime, you'd just be like, that's the guy that I want defending me. Oh, I, I just, I mean, this is so superficial. I just look at that guy and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know if I'd want that. Okay. But if you want him in control of anything, you want him in control of exactly what he is, which is in control of this really scary shadow portfolio. Well, he used to be. Now he's defence because he's put his own person there. So he's in control of even more of the government now. He's really in control of, 
especially because the Liberals just invest so much money into cybersecurity and defence. But he's in control of defence, he's in control of home affairs, which is every nefarious aspect of government put into one super portfolio. So that's just, you know, like uh, that's everything from uh, boat people to ASIO to the AFP. It's all in one. He, he created that portfolio. So he's really from behind the scenes created this shadow government. But again, he's got the face for it. He's got the face for I should be in control of the secret police. You know, fucking hell, that guy. Yeah, and yeah. again, like what I you're saying, you don't put, you do not put Scott Morrison to come out in his camo pants, saying I'm going to protect you from China, because your immediate response when you look at it is you. Yeah, right. It's dad from the Shire? No, I don't think so, mate. You get Peter Dutton to do it. Which is what he's doing. He's getting Peter Dutton to come out to the talk shows and talk about, yeah, we're keeping you safe from China. He's the one selling that message. Scott Morrison uh-huh. is selling the people are just just so mean online. You don't you can disagree, that's fine, but you don't have to say it's so mean. <laughs> that's exactly the message. It's exactly and a lot the of people message. would agree with that. A lot of people would uh actually look, to be fair, yes. I, the online world is a total cesspit. No one would know that better than either of us. But that's a distraction. Absolutely. You can't then use that to instill these, like, very pernicious, borderline totalitarian laws restricting people's speech online. You can't, like, it's just, yes, it's, but again, and this is, it's, it's actually, like, you. sorry, but uh, let me just say real quickly, like, it is masterful in the way that, okay, they've got this one arm, the major arm, which is appealing to this certain demographic here, and then this other arm that's also a vote for the same, essentially will result in a vote for the same party that is has the, ex- the exact different message, which is like, look at all these digital cybersecurity, this and that. They're infringing upon your freedom. Then they've got this other part of it that's saying, we need anti-bullying laws. We need anti-bullying laws online. They're coming after our women. They're always saying that. They're like, they're coming after women. Like that video you made of that guy, like, as soon as you come after my daughter, Hmm. well, which one is it? Is it that women are gentle and need to be protected and need to be infantilized? Or is it that women are equal and can handle the same things that men can? Because if they are, then... They shouldn't be going and crying to YouTube if someone said that they don't like them personally and criticize them. Mm. So make up your mind. Mm. But, but this is the, this is the genius about the modern incarnation of the liberals under Scott Morrison. He's because he, it's all fucking smoke and mirrors. They've realized, no, nah, we'll just have our cake and eat it too, which is incredible. It's something else that I was just recently noticed about it with their environmental messaging under John Howard. The environmental messaging really was, you know, okay, I'll support Clean Up Australia Day, but other than that, fuck the environment. Fuck it. That really was John Howard's message. Right. He he was upfront and honest about it. He was just like, I will prioritise jobs over the forests, you know? Like, he he just outright said it. Well, at least he was honest then. He was honest about it. He was saying, this is my position. I don't give a shit about the environment. What are you going to do about it, right? 
That was his position. But now it's more... Scott Morrison is fucking incredible because Scott Morrison has... This is his messaging when it comes to the environment. The Liberals really care about the environment. What are you doing about it? We are... And and this is the amazing part. He, he barely even hides it. Like when it comes to plastics, for instance. I've just done a video on plastics. Plastics are fucking terrifying, right? Like there's... This is the other thing as well, like what we were talking about with climate change. Just shut up about it. It's a loss. It's a culture war at this point. They've turned climate into a culture war. And like what we were talking about with the protests when it was just like, you look at the people protesting climate change and then you had that realisation of you just buy into, you look at those, you know, hippies, hipsters, um, annoying psychos that are just into climate change and you think, I'm not one of those people. And the press tries to highlight that because they're trying to make something that is just pure science a culture war, and they've successfully done that. But there's all these other underlying things that are even more terrifying, I think, than climate change, because I think that climate change is going to get solved. But plastics, that's fucking scary. Uranium, terrifying. Uh, Pesticides, fuck me. Like, just insect Armageddon. You know, all of these things are happening. Anyway... Because it gets no attention, and it's actually Jordan Peterson's point about the environment, actually, which is just there's all these other things underneath it that are just, like, really much more immediate and sinister that need to be solved. But mm. um, I noticed it with his messaging when it comes to plastics. Okay, as always, this was the problem with Bill Shorten in the last one. He just outright said, no, we're actually going to regulate these industries that are making the human species infertile, which is what plastics are doing, right? The liberals come out and they just go, yeah, no, we really care about trash. We're very concerned about it. So here's what the liberals are going to do. We're going to spend a billion dollars on an awareness program about trash. So they're essentially saying... So it's like saying, a Clean Up Australia Day. We're doing the Clean Up Australia Day it's thing, but we're just Australia saying week. we're spending a billion dollars. He's really just saying this. We're spending a billion dollars of your money convincing you that we care. Which And then all that billion dollars is going to go to firms that they're mates with, that, that were donors. Yeah, but it's going to the donors in the fucking PR industry, which is the yeah. genius fucking thing about it because that's just a real... But nothing is getting done. You're being swindled. Uh, the taxpayer's being swindled. And they're outright saying, we're swindling you. But it's like, this is the thing that's incredible about the modern-day Liberal Party. It's just like, what the fuck is it? What does it represent? It's it's like actually in this identity crisis because under Howard, at least he was, and he was very on your side when it came to that... He was really in the culture war thing. He was just like, I'm not saying sorry. I'm keeping the Australian flag. Well, I'm a, keeping the anthem. And that's a man with integrity. So uh, uh, that's and, yeah, something and he that outright would like- used to just be like, no, fuck you. I think corporations are sick. Like, and, and like, I think neoliberalism's sick. Like, and I can respect just say that. I can re- at least respect that. That's an honest man that has integrity. In the same he way, I, Bernie Sanders, it's like, I do not doubt that man means exactly what he says. Yeah. So I don't care what end of the political spectrum you're from. Uh, one thing I will definitely respect is integrity and someone who I don't think is engaging in doublespeak. I mean, it's not like Howard... Like, like with all politicians, yes, okay, there's, th- bit, there's broken okay, promises. There's be a bit. There's, yeah, there's all that, always there's, that. There's all that. But I'm telling you, like, culturally, the Liberal Party was something. 
the Liberal Party now, and this is actually something that Alan Jones is always pointing out, doesn't fight the culture wars anymore. What the fuck does it do? It does. All it does is like, which is really strange about it at the same time. It's actually kind of just revving its ugly head, which is we are a tool for the most powerful industries in the country. And that's all we represent. And everything after that, it's just in a complete identity crisis, which is the same thing. Like, cause this is originally, I just thought, Jesus, the Labor Party's fucked. Like Penrith and Lidcombe and all that shit are voting for the Liberal Party now. Originally, I thought that's terrible news for the Labor Party and they've just taken up all these upper-class, middle-class votes, which means that the educated class is now voting for the Labor Party. I thought that was terrible news for them, but I didn't realise that the Liberal Party actually is having this internal identity crisis. There's no other way to describe it. When we're talking about the culture war that we were discussing before, culturally... The Liberal Party, all those blue bloods in Manly and the eastern suburbs in the rowing clubs, they they can't compute. They 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 hate the fact that Penrith is voting for them. They're just like, what the fuck is this? It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't hit them, you know? Right. And obviously it would, it right? All these the elite UK. private schools sitting there just like what is this filth voting for us? Right. It's the same in the UK. Is it? Yeah, because uh, all the, the those working class English er- areas that have ne- that basically cheered when Margaret Thatcher died all voted for Boris Johnson. Is that right? Yeah, because I just don't pay enough attention yeah, to it. Yeah, that last uh, British election. Just give me a little bit. Of yeah, no, 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 no. Now he's a bit out of favour because he, again he's just it's looking like he's just not an honest man, which that will turn any voter off. Yeah, you can't have that. And that's the same thing that happened with... That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, the genius of what Scott Morrison is doing is he's really defending... He's really defending against I'm dishonest and untrustworthy. That is what sunk Bill Shorten. Can I just go back to the Bill Shorten thing? Because somebody pointed this out. I was just like, Jesus, our personalities, when I'm with Bill Shorten, we're like chalk and cheese. Like, we both... You can feel it. We both really respect each other. I do really respect Bill Shorten. Like the, the fucking guy organized the Beaconsfield mining collapse, you know? And against this as well, it's the story that he pointed out at the end of it, which is that like he didn't have to do that. They weren't union members. He was the head of the union, but he was organizing the rescue. And he said that the biggest accomplishment of his life was when the miners came out and then they attended the next AWU meeting, you know? Cause they just realized like, fuck, you know, uh, Unions are like, I would be dead if it wasn't for the unions. The corporations didn't give a fuck that they were in the mines. They didn't care. It became essentially a PR move for them at that point because they just thought, oh, they're probably dead in there anyway. It's going to be expensive to excavate them. They didn't care. Hmm. The AUWU, despite the fact that they weren't members, they were just like, we represent miners. We're going to make sure that they're excavated. He was the one doing all of that. He's a good man at his core. The reason that I think everybody became shifty is he, and he will freely admit this as well, he was listening to too many spin doctors around him that were constantly saying, and and, and you could feel it. And that's why everybody was just like, and it's the exact opposite of charisma. Yeah. and that's what's He's got with- all of these people yeah. around him saying, you can't say this, you can't say that. And so he's 
always thinking before he says anything. Well, there been two. Yeah, sorry, go on, go on. Someone was saying this who was in the Labor Party as well. They were just like, I sense that when you guys are in, like, it just doesn't gel. You two don't gel, chalk and cheese. And it's because I am and made a career out of just being like, telling it like it is. And like, so I'm always just trying to be as honest as I can. It doesn't mean that I'm consciously being honest. It doesn't mean that I don't lie. But, you know, I am incentivized as a comedian to try and be truthful and be no holds barred, you know. Hmm. He was in the exact opposite position. He's always trying to say the correct thing, the thing that is going to piss the least amount of people off. And that would have worked in the 90s. Like Bill Clinton's a really good example of it. You listen to him speak and I don't know, there's just something extremely charming about him so he's just able to get across it. But the same thing, you look at all of the polling back then, disingenuous. People thought that he was like smooth and he's fucking smooth. They thought that he was cool. They thought he was handsome. They thought he sounded, he's got an amazing accent. So sing-songy and folksy and like, yeah. as we were talking about before, he's got all of that going for him. He didn't have sincerity, so he brought on Al Gore. Al Gore, boring as fuck, but everybody had this feeling about Al Gore that he was authentic. Like he, he said what he meant and meant what he said, right? It was very important for him to have that. Sorry, you fast forward to Bill Shorten, as, as we were just talking about then, you have shiftiness in you. That's it. People hate you when they think that you're like not being yeah. sincere. Well, because People have that with Scott Morrison. He's trying to defend against that. Well, He's defending against it. Too many focus groups and just unnecessarily unnecessary amounts of data and consultants that have come in. And at the start, it would have been very effective. And then all those things of slowly degraded the integrity of a given politician to the point where they're just not their authentic self. And I vaguely remember this debate between Bill Shorten and Malcolm Turnbull, and it was the most robotic thing I've ever seen in my life. I could only watch five minutes of it. It was fucked. I remember it. They had these rehearsed answers to everything because they knew they were going to be used as sound bites in the media. Yeah. And and the the Democrats in America are still still clearly epitomise this. There's no authenticity in the Democrats. Absolutely no authenticity. Well, well, out of out of those that are the most inauthentic, Joe Biden is the most authentic. He is the most authentic, sure. He's from a bygone era, but anyone other than him, I mean, he's basically dead. But (laughs) that's his authenticity. But anyone else is clearly saying just his authenticity also comes from. And this is something that's like, a, it's it's fucked that like you have to think of politics this way. It really is. But his authenticity does come from, he's been peppered by life, you know? Like he's had a lot of personal tragedy in his life. He has. And you can feel at some level, okay, he doesn't say the right things. And that, that does play into it because he's had that, throughout his entire career is that he he kind of makes gaffes a lot, you know? That's always been there. Even when he was at his sharpest and he was a good debater, he'd be saying things that tactically weren't correct, like what Obama would be saying, for instance, where he was always saying the right thing. Yeah. Like eight years of saying the right thing at the right time. That's Obama. He was not, but he had more of an author. It's pretty much just a down-the-line Al and me 
campaign with Bill Clinton. That's really what was happening with Obama and, and Biden, which is that Obama's smooth, he's slick, he's cool. Biden has that authenticity to him and that authenticity came from a lot of dead people in his family. And so I think that that plays off to it. But yes, you're right. Like the Democrats as a machine, I hope they, just, they just kill, they try, they try to kill anything that makes you authentic. Whereas the Republicans don't. The Republicans no, kind well, of reward personality. Now they do, yes. And, and Well, even with George Bush, for instance, George Bush sure, seems like a legend. did, yeah. And ironically enough, you can see that a lot in any sort of cele- in a lot of celebrities now. They've got an entire PR team in their ear. And that's why a lot of people are losing respect for them. I mean, you can even draw parallels to comedians who have constantly been, are being told, don't say that, don't say that, don't say this thing. This one... If you're on TV, you can't say this. And then they turn out to be absolute garbage. I mean, I have a friend that was uh, signed with one of the biggest management companies in Australia for comedy. And he has a joke where he says something. It's so mild. This is obs- this is obscene. Where he says, oh, my friend, I was talking to a friend of mine and he has something that makes him a bit slow. You know, what do they call uh, ta- That's right, a TAFE qualification or something like that. He's making fun of TAFE people for being dumb. And then... Every year, there's like a team of uh, underlings to the main guy, the main manager, who was telling him, "No, I think we, sh- I think you should drop that TAFE joke." Essentially, like, hey, we can't market, we can't sell you if you have this one joke making fun of TAFE. But people in TAFE will be the first people to say, "Yeah, we're dumb cunts," and like that was a joke that he wasn't allowed to say. And he actually credit to him, he then left the management. But it's just credit to him. That's cool. That's definitely cool. But many people won't, and it's like what we were talking about in the previous week, which is ironically by ironically by, uh, and this is why, as a comedian, you would have to because you're right. Like, there's just cultural element is just so rife in satire. It's inextricably linked to it, which is the fucked thing about our current culture is that current satire is so sanitized that it's become pointless. It's a toothless tiger. That definitely happens with all civilizations. There's always, uh, you know, a sacred cow so that you can't slaughter. That's true. Yeah. And- But everything's a sacred cow now. Sure. And then what happens is it it, it just creates the, the conditions for just- uh, pure abrasive iconoclasticism without any depth to it. And people finally think, oh, yeah, someone either, not just the telling it like it is, because there's a, there's a component of that that can be very authentic and truthful, but just tearing certain things down for the sake of it, just saying the thing that you're not supposed to say for the sake of it. I actually think that was the whole thing with the Dave Chappelle special. People were just starved from people who were just, that's a large component of comedy, particularly stand-up comedy. It's just saying the thing that you're not supposed to say. Now, good stand-up comedy comes with a hell of a lot of depth associated with that, but people had been so starved of that that they just wanted someone to come out. And it, that's why I didn't like it because I'm a craftsman, but like they just wanted someone to come out and just say what you're not supposed to say. And he did that. And similarly with, I think, Trump, and similarly with, uh, to a certain degree, Pauline Hanson here. Well, definitely not here, but here. Um but 
I want to transition this conversation into something that I mentioned in the previous podcast, which oh, is sorry. no, no, no. That's okay. That was a, that's very relevant because when is the, the the election is going to be soon because it has to be done by May and they haven't called it yet. It mm. has to be soon. Uh, so, no, I don't know if these if these internet these these uh, cyber security laws continue to to expand, then who knows? This uh, prophecy may certainly not come true but the tide is definitely turning and the the trend seems to be showing far more far more power for online independent creators and far less power for established media again we talk about this on every bloody podcast but something i mentioned a couple of podcasts ago which was that podcasts are a very effective way to develop kinship with an audience. Mm. Okay? Mm. Everyone feels connected to their favorite podcast hosts. Yes, they do. It's the rawest. You just... Hey, guys. Hey, guys. But you... <sighs> you're privy to a very private conversation. You feel like you're fr- at least friends with the people who are speaking. Now... We can analyze that further as well, but what I what I'm trying to say is, I think podcasts are almost the equivalent of what local papers were of yesteryear. Now, a local a local paper was something that was not necessarily profitable, and in fact, it was only recently, if I remember correctly, that News Corp actually bought up a whole bunch of local papers. Mm. And why did they do that? I'm sure it's not actually profitable, especially in this media landscape. Well, they want to influence people, but they want to influence particular groups of people that are integral to their ultimate political aims. Well, so the thing, actually, the thing, the, the genius game plan of that was it was never going to be profitable. They bought up all of those newspapers so that they could gut them so that anything that was alternative to Rupert Murdoch's voice was killed, which is what he did. Okay, well, that's also a definite benefit of definite benefit them to them but now that they have a lot of control over that i don't know if a lot of them are still even extant but the when you're trying to influence say a marginal seat um this is purely me i'm just speculating here like when you're trying to influence a marginal seat what better way to target the constituents there than with a local paper that's a that's a media form that is specifically targeted to that area now the major branding of the leaders are really going to sway a lot of people but let's just say it's a matter of a three to five percent swing okay that's all you need to do you need to convince say ten thousand people who are on the fence hey this particular party is the one to vote for a local paper would be quite effective at that Hmm. because if you've got a readership there of say fifty thousand, which you probably wouldn't now but let's just say 10 years ago you probably did even if you have a readership there of, say, a couple of thousand, what you're doing there is just sort of implanting a certain narrative that can at least sway people's opinions to a certain degree and the the most effective way is to actually incept an idea into their head without deliberately telling them, but you make them think a certain way by amplifying certain things and not lying necessarily but, but employing prevarication and... Therefore, it's a very effective political tool to have this very sort of geographically tailored 
mode of influence. What you get with a podcast is you get an audience that is a very niche demographic that cannot be emulated and, and, and has an immense amount of trust built up in that brand. So theoretically speaking, and, and okay, let's let's move past just the realm of podcasting. What you get with any online and independent creator essentially is that you get this really small but very loyal core audience that represents a particular demographic. So what you can do, if you had enough capital, while I was thinking about this, you can start to create small independent media outlets that are targeting very specific demographics. Now, I know they've tried to do this, but they fail miserably because they always have this old school style of thinking. But let's just say you had like a couple of million dollars in capital, right? You'd find some of the most disaffected political groups in the country. Let's figure out, let's let's try and get a podcast going for them. Or even better yet, you find a prominent voice within that community. 300 grand a year, we'll build the podcast for you. We'll edit it for you. Here's a salary. Amazing salary. I'm sure a lot of people would take that. Now, you obviously, the whole point of independent media and things is like, you can't have people feel like they're being tainted and things like that. But at the end of the day, money talks. And you slowly start to cannibalize all those little niches and demographics. And eventually a lot of these will actually may even become profitable, unlike a local newspaper, because you've got so many journalists and the printing and all the costs associated with it. With a podcast, you have one or two people and one producer. You have three pe- you can you can literally do a, a pretty good one with three people working on it. You pay them a salary that otherwise FM radio. The big reason so many comedians move into FM radio, I'm like, why are you doing this crap? It's because it's it's security. It's do they great still hours. do it? Not as much, but it's security. It's great hours and it's amazing pay. Amazing pay. Hmm. And in Australia, amazing pay. Like you can literally be one of the the major hosts for a commercial FM radio station in a in a smaller city. I'm not talking a town, but say Newcastle or something. You could be making Three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Really? That's, yeah, yeah. That's how much you can make. Fucking hell! It's 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 a it's a lot of money because again, you get sort of tailored advertising market there. You get it's obviously profitable. So for what it so there's obviously uh, and if you can hold that that demographic exactly, then you're yeah. worth something. Because if you're a business in that particular city, you want tailored advertising. You don't want to advertise on the 6 o'clock. Now, I know you can actually advertise on news channels that go out to specific locations there, but nothing more effective than radio. In fact, radio was what podcasts used to be. You, you built a rapport with the hosts and you felt actually a quite a strong kinship fuck. with them. Yeah, and it was cheaper and probably get through to more people than TV advertising. I'm not, I'm not sure. But if, I suppose if you want to advertise at scale, you go to TV. Now... If you had the capital, okay, if you had the capital and you wanted to do this, I think because there's about to, I think there may be a huge power vacuum, maybe not now, but in 10 years, particularly in Australia, in the media ecosystem of Australia, there's going to be a massive power vacuum. There's already we're seeing cable channels in America, particularly the news cable channels, losing so much viewership. Their ratings are tanking. As soon as the advertisers start jumping ship, they're going to have to downsize. 
They're trying desperately to go into streaming services and they're just, look, the trend, I'm sure there'll be peaks and troughs. If, if, if another figure like Trump gets in, it'll go back up again. But the overall trend is downward at, at, at a relatively rapid pace. And so then there's this huge, and not only that, the conditions people are going to be living in, there's also a void of even religion and other you know, things that give people meaning and sort of answers and a roadmap and and people look to things that that teach them, that uh that they look to leaders, especially if they're feeling aimless in their life and they're feeling nihilistic, and there's there's no shortage of that in this day and age. And I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm not going to actually do this, but I'm just saying, hypothetically, if you were that Machiavellian and you had enough capital, and I don't think you would even need that much capital, you could just start to sort of like, like you always say, those people in in traditional media, they're constantly talking about demographics. What's the demo? What's the demo? What's the demo? All these niche little subgroups that they're trying to cannibalize there. And, and, and you can actually do that with either podcasting or internet content or whatever it may be, particularly for Gen Y and Gen Z. And if you continually grow each one, then you already have a large base and a large network that would further increase your ability to expand that and then have other arms that come off and under different a different banner, under different marketing, whatever it may be. And what you've got there is a massive ability to influence a huge percentage of the population i mean you could even if you got that big you could actually just monopolize the whole thing again in say 30 years maybe who knows Mm. but uh well that's definitely what oz stereo has done with listener they're obviously not doing it they're purely in it for a commercial outcome there's no listener i don't even know what that is listener is their podcast wing that's where they've chucked their hamish and andy's their abby chatfield yeah okay and they have a fuckload of podcasts on there so many australian every australian celebrity they've sucked up they've given them a podcast they've all made them differently tailored to those different demographics right? right they've already done that they're not doing it for any political purpose like say murdoch is but they've they've they fucking thought about that point because it's definitely well obviously they're in the audio medium and they've just realised okay podcasts are going to hit on a way that radio never is again because yeah. it's just an hour of talking between people and you just don't have that space unless you're on AM radio and AM radio is very specific as well so they've got that you're right about making it. The alternative, the alternative to news and the alternative to AM radio, because that's it. That they've made it an alternative to FM radio. Yeah, and no one's going to read whatever articles get pushed out, whatever news comes out. There's so many people now that already just completely distrust mainstream media, and that's usually because of the narrative that are, the narratives that are being espoused. And, and there's also it's because mainstream media is total garbage, but the the narratives that are being espoused by certain internet and independent creators, which is essentially that you can't trust mainstream media, so that exacerbates it as well. And then you what you are what you end up with is a niche group, a large group, but but still a small subset of the population that only trust this particular person or duo, 
and will not listen to anyone else. And the second that person says or, or hints at or just sort of subliminally puts in a certain ethos of political ideas into their listenership, you could really influence a lot of people. Because they like that person. Exactly. They trust them and... and it's the building really? block of all of... It's, that's a whole thing. Because when you're listening to someone for a full hour, there's no way that you can't fill that content up unless you're saying your authentic beliefs. You can't do it. Exactly. Maybe if you're like extremely trained as a politician. But even sure. then, even then, if... No, they'd just be talking about topics that they can freely talk about for an hour. Mm. Otherwise, they'd have mm. their trained little bite. So that's it. It's You're right. It's just a... A medium that you can't. Well, it's it's all FM. Well, radio has always had that. Actually, they they, there's statistics to back this up. They are the most trusted of celebrities. Well, there you go. Radio hosts and the most people who yearn to be in these positions of uh, media reverence. You can break down that sort of a person psychologically. Okay, they're status seeking. They're not too dissimilar to comedians, right? They're, they're status-seeking. They probably actually come... There's probably like a, an insecurity that comes with that. And so they're going to be very complacent. I don't think these people are going to be necessarily... Like at at start, they, they, they're speaking to a disaffected community, sure. But, I mean, you could... Buy, if you were really thinking... Not even evilly, but just in, in the pursuit of power... What you do with that power could then the mor- morality of that is different, but you give them enough of a salary. Most Australians that are on enough of a salary are like, yeah, I'm f- like, fuck it, I'll go on my holiday once a year. I'll just do what I have to do. I love my job. I want to go and start a family. Mad. And what you do then is like, what I think they do with these, and I, I don't even think actually, I'm, I'm quite well aware that they do these at these major media institutions is that. Most of the journalists and the reporters and things aren't going out and investigating everything and going through every little nook and cranny and finding the specific details about a certain case. They're being given a, a, a weekly, uh, I forget the precise term, but it's a, it's a, it's a sort of media. It's a media something. But there's a word. Anyone who's in media will know this. But there's a, as a, th- there's basically this newsletter that comes out. Like these are the topics that. It's a pre- it's it's kind of like a press release essentially, and then that is what what is fodder for a lot of the commentators to talk about because mm. they're not trying to. A lot well, of that's people what think a newspaper is exactly, yeah, and yeah. a lot of people, and I'm not immune to this. A lot of people think, oh, I'm actually talking about the truth. No, really, what people want is like their opinion to be heard, mm. and so the topics that they talk about, they're actually quite controllable. If you sort of say, hey, look, these are the major things and you that producer, if that person's really a bit more influential in that sense. But again, these are all just pawns, right? They're being paid a huge amount of money and they won't ask too many questions. But the real, you know, the cabal of people that are really controlling the narrative there are saying like, this is what we want people to talk about this week. Send it out to, let's say there's, let's say there's 100 podcasts across the, the, the country, part of this network. And they're each got they've each got one to two hosts being paid a salary of say two hundred to five hundred grand. Okay, so this is a lot of capital. There's a lot of investment. Overall, it would be far less than 
mainstream media though, or the, even the ABC, you got one producer per podcast sending out clips, uh, just editing it, doing everything that needs to be done there. There was the there's the initial initial capital of building a certain studio. You can often do that at someone's home. Cool, easy, done. Then each of those 100 producers get a weekly briefing once a week. Hey, these are the this is what we want you to talk about this week, and that's your moment to say, hey, amplify certain things, ignore certain things, talk about this, talk about that, and they're simply doing their job. Okay, everyone else has got their life to worry about. Like they're gonna just look at that and say, what's interesting about this? All right, this is what I want to talk about, and then in their mind. Their narrative is like, hey, look, everyone else is going to be talking about X cultural topic. I'm going to be talking about this thing that no one's talking about. But what they don't realize is that set of things that they're going to have their, you know, opine on has actually been constructed very meticulously for a certain uh, aim of power. And what you then have is the ability to actually influence politics to a substantial degree because you've you've picked off all these little niches you've gotten all these little subcultures to listen to whatever it may be now it's different to a local paper where you can influence a very specific uh geographical area and really influence say like a swing seat but you could probably get a hell of a lot of senators in at the very least and you could sway like the opinion of a major a major swath of the population and to a degree a critical mass. Again, they don't always have to be podcasters or whatever, but there is there is about to be a huge power vacuum in the media ecosystem and anyone with enough capital could potentially truly capitalize on that mm. and essentially be the next Murdoch. Mm. It's That's the way to do it. You're fucking right. Podcasts is the way to go cheapest easiest to set up easiest to trust i'll tell you what else as well i did not realize this but there was a person that's into those demos and i did not realize this but there's spin doctors that sit there and they're really pissed off at my audience or me for having that audience And it's because they can't get it. Is that it? They can't get it because, and this is the thing that they don't understand because they're such, as you were saying at the beginning of this, they're such evil suits. They don't actually understand authenticity. They they think they understand authenticity because it's a buzzword that they use when they're talking about Instagram influencers selling coconut water, right? But their whole world is based off of how do we basically give off the effect of authenticity to sell someone some product. Mm. But if you're able to get together a bunch of people that are not trying to they're not trying to trick you into fucking buying something hmm. because that just instantly kills authenticity. I think the secret, again, to what happened with me was just that, that weird streak of me of just like unrelenting belief, unrelenting belief and just being like, this is better for you. That's the only thing that I was trying to sell is just like uh, – benefit to you 
pretty much it. That's that that was my entire product. You're a very in, you you have a high degree of integrity, so you there may not oh, I don't know. It depends if a million dollar check is in, in in front of you. Who knows? We've I've never been in that position either. But let's say when these sort of new political movements spawn, say after the uh, the whole COVID fiasco, there's now well, a lot of disaffected people. Okay, and there has actually been influences that have popped up that are spreading a certain political message. And sure, they don't have an Im- immense amount of followers there, but that's just a little 1% that you can just... Now, what you do is you don't... You're not like the, the big suit that everyone sees and, oh, I know what that guy's trying to do. You pay off someone near them, right? If you have enough capital, you can do anything, right? You pay off someone near them, you're like... I'll give you this amount of money. Can you go and talk to this person and say this shadowy figure or just some cabal, some conglomerate, you can brand all these, have different whatever's companies or brand names or whatever and just call them whatever so they're hard to actually, you know, I don't know how realistic this may be necessarily, but like then you get to that that figure who's amassed this audience and say 400 grand a year, we'll set up the podcast for you. You be your authentic self. We just want you to do this podcast mm. because we like your message. Mm. We appreciate what you're doing. Mm. A lot will say yes. Some might say no. A lot will say yes. Mm. 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 And you keep picking that up over the next 10 to 20 years. I think we, there is going to be a lot of political nihilism and new sort of tribes forming. You keep picking off as many as you can. And if you really want to get, if you really want to get all Jeffrey Epstein about it, what you do is you have a big gathering once a year where you fly everyone in for a week, and you just you don't specifically do everything, but you do as much as you can for them to like drunkenly fuck up. Like you, you give them as much free alcohol. You put drugs everywhere. You put you don't have to put no, no that's totally immoral then. But like if you were really Machiavellian, you actually put like sex workers everywhere. That are actually underage. Yeah, sexual blackmail. You just hope that they fuck up enough, mm. and then you've always got that on them if you ever need to use it. Mm. You've mm. always got that on them if you mm. ever need to use it. Mm. And slowly but surely, with those producers, you just start to with that like because eventually, ten to fifteen years into it, all right, are you going to be as passionate? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but then, like, you just before, but without them even realizing, hey, this is what these are the things that you can talk about this week. And what I mean, I don't mean can as in you're, you have permission to, but like here are the things that are prominent in the news cycle. But you're defining the news cycle. Which is exactly what Murdoch does. Exactly. But the, but the next step after that, which is when it goes from implanted culture to culture, is when they don't even have a sense that there's a prison anymore. Exactly. Like they just... Think that way. Because you're not, again, who's actually going out there and investigating and finding? There are a few very select people that are doing that. But for the most part, even these large-scale commentators, even the journalists breaking the stories, are getting these reports. Mm. And this is what people are talking about. This is what some people have uncovered. Where are those reports coming from? Mm. Well, Who's going to quit? If you're making 400 grand a year and you live in a great life, you've got a mortgage to pay off, I'm fucking going to question anything. But the other thing is, like, yeah, you're not questioning it after a while. You, you really think that you're on God's side and you're getting rewarded for it. Yeah, if you had capital of 100 million, 
which is a hell of a lot, but it's also not an insurmountable amount where there are enough people that are rich enough that if they pull this together and invested in it, they, that you could raise that, you could probably do this. You could probably do it for less. I think you could do it for less. You could do it for less. I, could, yeah. I reckon you could, man. Especially if you just started out As with larger markets and company. moved down. That was your yeah. We're a podcast management company, or we're like an internet management company. So you find certain voices online, and you say, you know, we'll just help you out with stuff. We're not anything. But then there's like middlemen before the guy who's really pulling the strings. As always. Yeah. Yes, as always. And then um, you find influencers that maybe have a certain, like you, that have an immense amount of trust within their core demo. And maybe real, if you're really looking at it, you find the, the, the demographics within the country that are most likely to swing. Every, you, you look over some, you do some analysis and you say in the last few elections, okay, uh, working class women aged 30 to, to 45 were most likely to be the swing voters. Boom. There you go. That's the demographic you've got to try and get on your side. You find the independent creators and using all the data that you can. Everyone has that data now. That's what Facebook is profitable on, the data. Okay. You find who that demographic is listening to. 500 grand will give you 500 grand a year podcast will set up the studio all yours mm. maybe they're already doing it because there are people that are just getting these offers for podcasts but like you said i think that's just purely for immediate commercial profit the other thing as well and this is the interesting thing that i really like about it is that uh obviously news corp is trying to do their own podcasts yeah, and they're garbage no one fucking listens to them yeah. no one listens to them doesn't work they can't find authentic voices yes. because this is the whole thing. It's just, and the other thing is that, like, they, they, I think it's just the technology is accessible to the masses. I think it actually would even cost even less than a few million. Really, you just have to, I guess, empower people enough to just be like, the best thing you could do is to start a podcast for your area, and they would probably do it themselves. And the only thing that's stopping them is the they don't have necessarily the time. And they maybe have a job. And so that's where you say, like, yeah, whatever the cost is, I don't know. But yeah, you just cover that. Here's a salary. Here's a good, or, or, sal or a even good like, salary. Here's enough of a subsidy until we can get you some other second form of revenue and like sure. merch and whatever. Yeah, because eventually you'd want to try to make each of those little individual um, uh, media. Uh, areas profitable but ultimately that's not the goal that's not what you're really going for you're, you're actually there to influence yeah that's it that's fucking it i think that you could actually find a bunch of zealots that would be willing to do it you could yeah, you could and that's the other thing again it it's easily. just like you're, you're you're fighting a war against people that don't actually believe in anything yeah. It's pure capital. It's pure capital versus people with a cause. Yeah. The cause actually is more powerful. Especially yeah. because yeah. they're not going to be doing it for nothing. The reason that these cunts on 2GB are doing it is because they're getting a million dollars a year. Well, yeah. You know? That's how much you pay them because it's not just... It, first of all, it's probably profitable because there's that much advertisers spend 
within their three hours. I mean, I listen to those programs, there's like half ads. and But what you're really paying for there is the ability to massively influence a major voting block. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, that's what you're paying that for. That is so much power. Because I can see why, like, you could, you got to respect Murdoch at the end of the day for what he's done. He's yeah, just, it's huge. No one is more powerful than that guy. No. Because when you control media, you control the narrative, you control the way people think, you control yep. culture. Yeah. And forget about politics. Forget about anything else. Like, that is... Swipes, it sweeps it all away. Unbelievable power. Well, it's... And there's going it's to be like, a vacuum. It's what they were always saying about wars, hearts and minds. This is the whole thing, right? Afghanistan, I was interviewing McBride, who was the whistleblower, and I was just saying, like, is there a way to win a guerrilla war? If a society like Afghanistan decides that it wants to subvert, right? It just – think about it. What they did is incredible. It's the same as the Vietnamese. They beat the US war machine, which is by far the most well-funded, technologically advanced war machine that has ever been created, by far. And they won against it in sandals and old rifles left behind by the Soviet Union in the 80s. They won against that. And I was, and he was basically just saying, dude, if, if a society decides or if there's a guerrilla team that decides that they're just going to go underground and, and use guerrilla tactics, you can't win against that. You will lose that fight eventually. So essentially what you have to do is change their minds. But the thing is we never had the moral authority in Afghanistan. We were the invading force and we were clearly there for nefarious reasons that weren't in the population's interest. So they fucking hated us, right? But the thing is, uh, it's the same with that. It's it's exactly the same with this. It's if you're able to change hearts and minds, you win the war. It's the most powerful tool. That's what's so fascinating mm-hmm. about the press, and that's why I think everybody implicitly understands this. But yes, the the, the, the as Alex Jones actually really identified, the info war is the true war. So yeah, like it, it's 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 a cool idea, man. It's a really cool idea because you've already got inbuilt in that, thing. as you were saying before. You've got niche cultures already inbuilt into it, ready to go. Just by that person opening their mouth, they're like, "That guy's from Townsville," you know? Yes, and maybe you could even then start an arm for each, even geographical subset as well. I mean, who knows? But. Yeah, yeah, you, you sort of cannibalize it very loosely. There's not one big um, that umbrella that they all lie under. You'd have to really actually be in the shadows more than anything. Yes, you would. And you just somehow have to have m- multiple links to the person that is the, ult- the, the ma- to the various mouthpieces. Mm. And you sway them very subtly. You probably don't even meet them or anything. You just have to be this behind-the-scenes person that tells the other people, okay, this is the report. This is like the you know the press releases that you send out once a week that it that informs the um, producers of each say podcast or each internet channel, and you even frame it as well. Hey, here are some ideas of what you can talk about. 
because you can't make it – if it's as soon as it's like, hey, this is – you can't say this, this is what you can and cannot talk about, the whole thing collapses. It's definitely something to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I'm actually ever going to try and do, but I'm just saying it's... it's but you're right. You're, you've, it's you're fun. Right. That's it's very the gap that's happening. stimulating to uh, theorize about something like that. Mm. No, it definitely is. Especially because, look, our, our podcast actually isn't a very good example. I should shut up about it. You do need somebody with some sort of profile to begin with. You're right. And but they pop up are, all the time. Town celebrities. Town, town celebrities, celebrities exist. Sure, but then anyone who pops up with a profile is usually a younger sort of person. It's usually someone who is actually very authentic and it's someone who can garner a huge audience very quickly and actually if you're going to give people media training and go through the system, that's actually what turns people off now anyway. So within a year or two, you identify, all right, cool, this person... Look at them, 100,000 Instagram followers because they started talking about vaccines. Hmm. Cool. Get someone near them, hmm. talk to them hmm. and say, hey, look, I get another person and another intermediary. Like, hey, I run this loose. Uh, I'm looking to invest in podcasts that speak that you play into their narrative. If anything, like, man, I really like your message. I'm a media. Um, I'm a guy who's always been passionate about getting the truth out there. Um, how would you feel about like, you know, you do a podcast, I'll pay you for it. We'll just maybe sell some ad rev on there or something, or we'll manage it. We'll help you make some money out of it too. But, um, we want that message to get out there. Here's the money. Here's like an amazing salary. And usually if you start off as an internet creator, it's actually what people don't realize it's very hard to monetize virality immediately. It often occurred, like with us, because we do shows, that was always the biggest thing. We were by no means ever rich. Now there's a few online comedians that are starting to get, you know, rich. And even then, nothing compared to even like B-level um, traditional media people in Australia. Mm. But like it's, it's not easy to monetize it because you're not... First of all, a lot of advertisers didn't really realize what was going on. It's all very sort of new and, and it's it can be very ephemeral because you don't know how the longevity of something like this. But um, there's a huge incentive for people who have maybe gone viral in a short period of time to make money. And then, you know, this is a way like, hey, you've made it. You know, he, mm. you're part mm. of this big loosely defined connected podcast slash internet creator network where there's this investment that comes in and and you know what i i went in those early years i would have loved a like consistent salary because it was so even today it would be good but i actually don't want it now because i kind of know it's all you know it comes at its own price i'm not relying on anything or anyone right yeah. it's good that way but um in terms of, i like do brand deals of course but they're like one-offs and i like that uh but the point is people are very – there's a hunger for those sorts of people to get that legitimacy and to, you know, be given that sort of financial security and, and, and not even just financial security. We're talking about financial generosity there. Like you're in a very high status position If even in Australia. As soon as you get into the 300, 400 grand a year range, 
you're doing pretty damn good. You're upper class. You're very, mm. In fact, you're quite upper class. Mm. And you can live a very luxurious life. You can fly business. You can live in a very, very nice house. Mm-hmm. You can always eat as whatever you want. Like that's yep. hard to turn down. Yeah. Especially if you've come from a, you know, previously making 60 grand a year. Mm. That would be very hard to turn down. Mm. Mm. It's just about the, it would be about having the capital. Which means that you kind of, you need to create some kind of sustainable ecosystem before that. Well, this is the whole thing, man. Like Murdoch's empire was not built in a day. That was, that was mm. the, it was the span of two generations, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Having said that, though, fucking Bitcoin millionaires, you could set this up. You could. Yeah, they could. And I know you listen to this podcast because this is the whole thing. This is what's amazing about our generation. It's crazy. Okay. In general, our generation has less wealth. But the ones that do have wealth have insane levels of wealth to what we normally did. What normally... A successful Gen X person, for instance, would probably be on 150K a year in the law firm. A successful Gen Y person is a Bitcoin millionaire or they started a startup. They did something. You don't need any land anymore to be a multimillionaire. That's almost unheard of in history. There's very few ways you could have done that before. So anyway, the point is that I really do think that you should be thinking about that. Yeah, there's a roadmap for a... It's a roadmap. Um, at the, the the next media monopoly. Yeah, definitely. The conditions are ripe for, and and also no, just be, but also to be wary of what nefarious powers could very easily do in the next in the doing. next decade. Yeah, and they're trying. Well, to they're do. Do, They're definitely doing it with YouTubers. Well, again, I don't know if that's more of a, like you said, that listeners thing, where I think there's a lot of large management companies that just want to make money, so they're. Just um, getting as many people as they can, but then they're getting people that may not, you know, like what if you if you sign certain creators and and maybe even do give them a salary. A lot of them aren't even getting given salaries; they're just signed to a particular management company who then organizes brand deals for them. Which I've never now in hindsight, I don't really understand that because it's like actually limits what brand deals. Most of the brand deals actually come to you directly. And then you just pass them on to the manager. It's just, it's like you don't need a manager. Just answer the emails. But that's, if you're, if you're actually, so what the manager does is like coalesce a large group of people and then pitch that large group to brands and say, hey, overall, this is what my clientele achieves. This is the viewership and the demos and the listenership my mm. clientele achieves. And then it's at scale, the brand is like, oh, man, this is how much I can give you for an overall campaign for all these people. Mm. So then there is that benefit. You'll probably get more in the long run. But, you know, there's also a lot. At the end of the day, it's about money. There's not, I don't know of any, any. um, That are ideologically doing it. No, I don't know anyone who's doing it for power. (laughs) I think they're all doing it for money. Which, look, they go hand in hand, sure. But there's, there's a clear, there's certain people you would want on your, I suppose, roster or like part of your network and certain people you wouldn't, whereas they may be more suited if you if it was a purely financial aim. Like there's certain people that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. In fact, a lot of these political, the people that people trust for for politics and for culture 
are probably not, they're not exactly brand friendly. In fact, they'd be quite the opposite. And actually, that's where they may have more of a financial incentive for someone to come along and say, man, I love what you're saying. I want this truth to get out there. I want to influence the next generation. I want to invest in a podcast of yours. How many are going to say no to something like that? Fuck all. Sure, some, but... Yeah, but not many. Yeah, you really start to... And then you build a brand in itself where, like, everyone else is aiming to get to be part of that network, if you want, if you will. God, that's a good idea. And it like people are so easy because now everyone is just trying to want a mirror for how they think and how they see the world. And the people thing is read. that you can always no. You just you just can get someone who's like you have a likeness to this particular demographic that we're trying to get. You have a bit of a following. He's he's a great salary. Start making weekly videos in this studio that we're going to build in your house. So we'll give you the salary. We just want you to make three videos a week, and these and the pro- producers even going to send in ideas of what you can talk about. It's beautiful. Yeah, and so they think like, fuck, this person's investing in me. Like, this is amazing. And then, like, there's so much pressure on these independent creators. They're like, I have to do so much. I have to do this. I have to do that. Man, if someone came along and was streamlined it and said, hey, we'll employ a producer for you, and they're going to give you topics and things that you can talk about. We're even going to, like, analyze the metrics of what your viewers like, and then that's what's going to define that list that you get each week of what you – just ideas of what you can and cannot talk about. Oh, man. You've done everything living, for them. You've done the everything. Dream. Just open your mouth. Yes. Just be yourself and talk about your opinion. You'll commentate on this issue. And actually, you would be doing a great service as well. And once a year, <laughs> boom, book out some Bali. island somewhere. <laughs> get yeah. a big, a book out a hotel, get them all drugged the fuck up yeah. <laughs> with all sorts of illicit, yeah. illegal shit. Put hidden cameras it's not all carrots. everywhere. And then like, just hold that. In case you ever need to use it. And then one day that like one podcast is like, man, a friend of mine's doing this investigative journalism and is talking about this one thing that I think I want to talk about. Oh, here's some footage of you from 10 yeah, years well, we've ago got fucking our own a 16 year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that important? Talk. I'm not going to talk. Sick. Yeah, you've been thinking about it a lot. Oh, man, yeah. I just, like, I'm going to sound so evil on this podcast, but I am definitely not going to do something like this. I'm very happy just doing the comedy I'm doing, but um, it's fun. It's fun just uh, ruminating on things like this. Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely your strength. It's definitely your strength thinking about those kinds of things, I think. Just thinking abstractly about the future. Yeah, I want to do a podcast soon on like self-driving cars and how that's going to, but also the, of course, the culture that is going to come about because of self-driving cars. It's just another descent into laziness and getting fatter, (laughs) isn't it? True, yeah. It's just going to change things so dramatically because, well, what's the need of buying a personal car? If like a, if a, if a city or a, can sort of like have, if you can, if it can just be a, like a, a perfect amount of say self-driving Ubers on the road, why would you want to buy a car? No, of course. Cool. Not. Uh, this is where I'm going in a minute. Oh, instead. no, status still. 
Sure, maybe. But then what can happen is like various firms can, um, the, you know, they could be the fancy Uber that you subscribe to. So like for a thousand a year, you're part of this fancy Uber that takes you anywhere. And then, and how much is it going to do when you, when the cars become self-driving that completely redefines the interior design and the engineering of the car itself. You can then create all sorts of things within the car. Mm, it can that's be a gym, true. It can be a, a, a gym car. You can, if you're commuting one hour to work every day, boom, you get a workout done, mad. And it's an extra. It's all these private. But then you, it's probably going to be great videos for you because there's all these private companies that are going to come along, and they'll be like the Telstra of self-driving cars and the Optus of self-driving cars, and they'll all kind of collaborate to ensure that they'll also be like the the Aldi of self-driving cars, which will be like oh, the, yeah. the shit one, shit that, budget, yeah, yeah. That's true, dude. I, that's, that's that's all definitely podcast. true. And you could all you could all market to those things. It's another podcast, anyway. It's another podcast. I just think that, like, man, a lot of human beings like possession. You know. That's true. But People like saying culture, this is mine. Yes, but if the but that'll it'll it'll take a couple of decades, but the culture will change eventually. Where like a lot of people will say, well, what's the why do I need to buy a car? It's useless. And they'll find some other possession thing. Yeah, that- and, and through marketing again, like like you've said, like if you can just manipulate people to think like, hey, this is why you should subscribe to the Uber Lux. Well, dude, it's definitely the reason that Tesla's fucking killed it. It's not just because it's environmentally friendly. That's one part of the status of it. The other part is that it's just... Dude, you look at a Ferrari nowadays and you're like, that belongs in the 60s. It doesn't look as cool as a Tesla, which costs like 60 grand. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, the culture around cars is changing a lot. It's very interesting how the car became such a symbol of independence and also masculinity, but it... Our great-grandparents probably didn't even have a car. It was our grandparents that probably got the first car. And and in that short space of time, it became such a symbol of well, manliness, actually. It's a very... Uh, yeah, independence, sort of 50s, freedom. Yeah, yeah. The 50s is where it re- every middle, a lot more... Position. Just average people were getting cars, whereas before that, it was just for the rich fucking was so the culture around the cars can change in the matter of two decades yeah that's true that's true but yeah again again we'll keep that for another pocket that's just an idea i I want to talk about in a future one but um anyway let me know in the comments if my uh, evil scheme if you think my evil scheme would work uh and how uh effective it 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 could be and if you've got a hundred million dollars let's talk Well, thanks for your time, folks. Thanks, guys. See ya.